We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. We're still in verse 17, so we're going to continue with the little review of the first part. The dead in Christ, or the sleeping in Christ. The two views often proposed, like we said, one is the body of dead Christians will rise and be joined to the spirit soul or the person, the personality. Spirit and soul are not separated. They're only separated to teach certain things. The soul of man, when God breathed his spirit and gave him a spirit into the dust, into the earth, he became a living soul. It was a combination But the spirit soul, as far as teaching, they're not separated. No more than you can separate facets of a diamond. You're just explaining various things. But you take one facet away, like the fruit of the spirit, then it's not Christ. We say the works of the flesh because they're different. But the fruit of the spirit sum up the personality, the attributes of who Christ is. So you can't take one of them away and have the others there. It's not done. So the spirit soul is the personality, the person. And when that person dies or is caught up, all of him goes into heaven, all of him goes into hell. There is no thing your spirit returns to God and your soul goes to hell. It's not possible, okay? But the other view, and we can see that that was the problem with the Thessalonians, When he explains this, it seems like they got a good point for him that when they believed in soul sleep, as we study, even Martha believed that Lazarus would be raised the last day, the end of time. She didn't think he would go straight to heaven. And Jesus talked about, I will raise them up at the last day. He says that often. So he's implying that something is resting. So it may be the whole being, spiritual being, that he's talking about. If so, if this is so, then everyone from the gospel through the epistles for the last 2,000 years, they are sleeping. They are not in heaven or hell. And the Jesus, he talks about when the church is raptured and he comes for his own, it appears at the same time the angels come. And they're going to separate the goats from the sheep nations and people. And it even speaks of the resurrection of the damned. So something's going to happen then where we're going to put on immortality and be like angels. They're going to be given a spiritual body that's fit for punishment, that's fit for the wrath of God. That's the consequences that sin, its wages, is sin and wrath. Okay? So that will rise then. We'll go real briefly to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 18. He's quoting, I'll read the scripture first. Then if that's so, all who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. See, there were false teachers saying that there is no resurrection. They were similar. The Sadducees did not believe in an afterlife. They were the priestly family. And that's why they could be so crooked and greedy. They didn't think they would come into judgment. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection. They believed of the damned and the righteous. They believed in angels and devils. The Sadducees did not. 
Okay, shows you how corrupt the devil had made them. So when those were teaching, there'd be no resurrection. Well, Paul himself said, if, if I believe that, eat, drink, and be merry. Why, why we suffer and fight and all this stuff? And that's it. So they seem to believe, the Corinthians, that these people were in soul sleep. And they were worried that they would perish if that was true. So that's why Paul is trying to correct them. He said, if they did not rise, then the Christian dead, the sleeping in Christ, have perished. There's no afterlife for them. It doesn't seem to think or speak that they're in heaven right now, like many people believe. And if it is, there's doors we don't understand. Okay, so the person, it seems, not the body only, is gone. Verse 19, if in this life we have hope, only hope in Christ, then we are of all men the most pitiful. So that's why he could say, eat, drink, and be merry. If there's no afterlife, then you can understand why the Sadducees were crooked and robbers and thieves. They didn't feel that they're going to answer for anything. So if a person is a true atheist and defiles his country, well, that's why we have Hitler and Stalin and Mao they didn't think they were going to come into a job, so they could do what they wanted to do. Well, they're going to be surprised. They're going to be at the lower part of the lake of fire. They'll be down there in their Lucifer. Okay? And so he says what? He makes it clear, though, he says, that it's the person, that there is an afterlife. But he says again, then they've fallen asleep and they're dead, then what happens? But he said, but Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So those who've died in the Lord, they will be resurrected bodily, soul, spirit, personality, wherever form it is, Christ has their number. He knows who they are. On the other hand, if there is soul sleep, then everybody since the gospel and Christ that have died are not in heaven or hell. Even the wicked are waiting for the resurrection. They're waiting to be called forth for judgment. And that's what's going to happen. But they're sleeping for 2,000 years will be like a, a night's sleep. There ain't no memory or anything. So for them, and there's other points for and against this, but I'm not going to get into those. You have to formulate your own thoughts on those. Okay, so he's saying that there is, Christ is risen, and we will rise because of that, we that belong to him. So whether the body rises and joins the spirit soul, or their soul sleep, we want to remember something in 15, verse 51 to 54. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So it doesn't appear he's just speaking of a body. There would be too much emphasis if the soul, the personality is in heaven now. Why would you emphasize this? It doesn't seem to be that important. So I understand their point. But he says what? We shall not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. Okay? And we'll see him why. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we talked about that, that Christ and the archangel will blow the trumpet and say, Arise, dead, and come to judgment. And that's for everybody, okay? 
And he says what? For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and the mortal must put on immortality. Well, we are a body, soul, spirit. So he's talking about the whole being of a person is going to put on. Our spirit's not been perfected. Our soul, the soul has to do basically a man with the earthly, with the animalistic uh, desires and things. That's what draws us and makes us uh, human and the natural. But we have a spirit joined and not, and it's inseparable as the personality, but that's what's in the image of God. We are spirit like God is, so we are, and like angels are. But we are capable of both realms. But when we die, the spirit soul will be changed completely, and we will see this in a moment. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and the mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So that's why we have two terms used often, the dead in Christ and those sleeping in Christ. So Stephen fell asleep, but he died. But when he uses the sleep, it means he has hope. He has a resurrection. And again, there's no scripture that says that Stephen went directly into heaven. He simply said, receive my spirit. Well, he receives everyone's spirit that belongs to him. Like I said, whether we're sleeping at night or we're awake during the day, we're still in the Lord. doesn't change anything, okay? And so now we can go on. And I don't argue the point with people. I say, uh, it doesn't matter that much. You walk with the Lord, you won't have to worry about any of this, okay? So the corruption must put on incorruption. The mortal, that which makes us human, that's uh, body, soul, and spirit. It must be changed. Flesh and blood cannot enter heaven. That in the natural cannot get into the spiritual realm. Doesn't matter who it is. God told Adam after he pronounced his judgment, he said, you were made from the dust and you shall return to the dust. His body, that which connected him to the earthly, natural realm, he said would return to the earth. And yet his soul, spirit, his personality, he lived for a long time, and he eventually, we believe, because of the sacrifices and stuff, that he made it to heaven. He lived 930 years, okay? But now let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 23 and 24. So the whole creation wants to be changed. It's corrupted. It's been corrupted by the fall of man, nature, everything has some corruption, a decaying effect, okay? He said, not only they, the creation will be changed, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. So if it's just the body, or if it's all of them, it's still the body's going, it's going to be changed. And it is not saved now. See, it was called the hope of salvation, final salvation. So if a person's in Christ, he has eternal life, but it's not permanent unless he endures to the end and continues with the Lord. It can be lost or forfeited. 
For he says, we are saved in this hope. What hope? The coming of the Lord and the resurrection. The first fruits that Christ will resurrect all, our spirit, soul, body, and we will be ever be with the Lord. So he says, we are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. He's speaking of the future. For we do not see it. What happens, he's saying. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And that's why Jesus said, those who endure shall be saved. The, it's the called the faithful, called the chosen and the faithful, the people who are called by the gospel. Many are called, but few are chosen. Few respond to the call. So they're not chosen in Christ. They're not elected. They're not put in or predestined according to his plan for the church. But if they respond, they're chosen. People think that means before the foundation, not the individual. Angels that did not fall are called the elect angels. They were never elected anything. They elected not to fall. And that's why they're called chosen and holy. But they passed their test. Two-thirds of them did. And they remain in their state that they were created for. Okay, so we wait for it. He's telling a Christian, we have Christ in us, but we have to continue in him till the end. We're under a probation. We are being tested and tried. We're given everything, weapons, and the spirit of Christ and the helper, which is Christ, the Holy Spirit. So we have to use these things that's given to us. And if we don't, we forfeit these things. There are not, no irresistible grace. Man and Christians must always yield their will to the good or the bad. They have the capability to do this, okay? So whether it's the body or the spirit soul that rises or separate, our salvation now is by hope. And we are looking for the second coming and the coming of the Lord because we're groaning. We don't like the state we're in. Like Paul said, we have a desire to depart because we know about the carnal nature. We know about the world and the devil, and we're in these conflicts. And our spirit, our soul, our personality and body can be drawn to the demonic realm, to the earthly and corruption. You see, it has the capability. But when we're born again or regenerated, our spirit is given a new spirit, but it must yield. It can be defiled. It can disobey God. But if you walk in Christ, there's a new person, and he wants to do the things of God, and the old corrupt nature still wants to go back to the world. So we're in this warfare, we might say, in between a rock and a hard place. We have to deal with both. Uh -huh. And that's why we're given warnings, encouragements, things to do, things not to do, because it's going to lead you one way or another. You're going to continue with the Lord or you're not, because this is the probation, okay? So we're looking for the final salvation, and then we won't have to deal with the corrupt nature, the devil, or the world, because they'll be confined in hell by then, or, or the lake of fire, okay? So we live in Christ, 
Christ lives in us on earth, but it is not permanent until we are changed or fixed in him. And that can only happen at death or the rapture. That's the only time that all of that ends, okay? So like he said in 25, verse 25, we persevere, we overcome, we continue in Christ until he comes for us. We are still subject to temptations of the body, the soul, and the spirit. When the mortal puts on immortality, that will not happen. When corruption, the natural realm, puts on the angelic realm or spirit realm, that cannot happen, okay? We'll not be subject. We won't have to fight the world of flesh or devils once that happens. Christians have the new man joined with Christ. He's new in his spirit only as he is joined with Christ, as he's yoked with him, and he walks with him. And that's why we are told to put him on. It means you can do this, or you can refuse to do it and go back to the old nature. And then you're not going to have no new man for long, because the spirit of Christ is going to leave. The father's going to cut that branch off, and there'll be no life of Christ in him anymore. So we see that this all depends on the Christian will to yield to God or not to yield to him. And it's never taken from a man. There is no irresistible grace, okay? So we see that. But the old man, the corrupt nature, it still pulls us to return to the way of the world, the way of wickedness. That's a part of the original sin. That's a part of what we inherited through the fall of Adam. We inherited a sinful nature. But in itself, God does not damn people for that. He damns them if they feed it and they continue in it and they don't resist it. He never said he asked for perfection. He'll take care of that through Christ. But he expected Cain not to be evil and he warned him that that sin, like a beast, it was a demon of murder, is wants to get you, but you must overcome it. You must res- He told Cain that. Now, he would have told Cain that if Cain couldn't have done it. So even under the lesser covenants, man is responsible, and God expects him to act according to that. And if he does it, he judges him for that, like he did Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh-huh. And he'll do that to the individual. So he's saying man can resist. He winks at their ignorance and their inabilities because they don't have Christ in them, but they still have moral judgments and they can say yes and no. And God understands that. But if they keep saying no, then the demonic power takes more control of them. Uh So God expects people to obey their conscience. And then they defile their conscience, they're in trouble. And only the Spirit can undo some of that, okay? So we're to overcome corruption. We're to fight it. We're to resist it. We're given the armor of Christ. We're told to put on the helmet of salvation. Well, if you don't put on the helmet of salvation, you won't get salvation in the end. You will lose that. But he tells you to put it on. So again, we say it's always a spiritual and a human side. They're never separated. It's not all God. It's not all man. The greasy graces, it's all grace. Well, they're liars. The false shepherd. Oh, our spirit don't sin, so we can fornicate with our body. Well, they're going to end up in hell. Okay? 
because God holds them accountable for it. Okay, and so He does not hold people accountable for stuff they do not know. He judges them lesser, but the ones that do not know, He judges them because they will not come to the light. See, most humans don't want to know these things. So God judges that as if they've heard it. So if they refuse the truth, he judges it as if they had the truth. Men love darkness rather than light, and they will not come. But they can come. He doesn't ever say they can't come. He expects them to. He said it's not his will that any perish. So the sinful nature that pulls at us as a non-Christian, I am a Christian, we're responsible to a great degree. Uh-huh. So we can't blame the original sin and well, we have to do that. Like I say, he judges according to the truth, according to knowledge. Therefore, we do not believe retarded people and babes will come into judgment because they have no law. They're not capable. And how can God judge someone who's not been held accountable and knows the truth? In his holiness, he doesn't, okay? He's holding those who's given the truth. So he winked at the Gentiles for many things they did, and some of them were saved and considered righteous, uh -huh, and still are, if the gospel's not been around them or given to them. There are some. He said their conscience will excuse them or accuse them. It excuses them. God sets the standard. He doesn't say they have to be perfect. He says when they do something wrong, they make amends. They want to live right morally, so they have desires. Uh -huh. But Christ will take care of the perfection which God demands. Uh -huh. So the person's not judged, basically, because he's born into this world with a nature that's bent toward and attracted toward sin. He's judged if he feeds it and doesn't resist it and gives in to it, and goes deeper and deeper, then he's damned, because he's shown no effort, and God expects him to, and God says he can do this. And so these people who think, oh, the poor souls are in hell because they never heard the gospel. Well, why would God hold them in the judgment if they've had no law? And that's why Paul said even the Gentiles that had not the law they lived the law in their conscience, and he said they were the true Jew. And the Jew that broke the law, he said, you're not a Jew. So Paul made it very plain that even Gentiles lived morally and upright. Cornelius did it, and the angel commended him for it. In the light he had, he served God. He shamed the Jews. Uh -huh. And then Peter was told to go and give him the full truth. And immediately... He and 12 household members received the Lord, and he was filled with the Spirit. And they spoke in tongues and prophets. They got it all because he walked in the light that he had. And when he was given the gospel and understood it, he received it immediately. That's what happened to most of the 12 disciples. They came from John. They didn't need no repentance. John taught repentance. They didn't have to go through this mourning they walked in the light they were given. And so when Jesus came along, half of the disciples came from John. They were his disciples. And they immediately followed the Lord. And even Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. I come for the wicked. 
So there were righteous Jews, and Paul met some of them when he went into the Gentile world. He went into the synagogues, and righteous Jews that were walking right and studying scripture, the Spirit opened their eyes, and they turned to the Lord. And most of the synagogue threw them out. And it was good for the Gentile Christians because they could lay the foundation all the way back to the old prophets of what they'd received, what Christ was and who he was. So they didn't know a lot of that. They just knew they were born again and Christ was their Lord. So this happened throughout the 70, 80 million people in the Roman world. It's believed 8% may have been Jews and they had many synagogues. So we see God's wisdom there. He converted some, and they joined the Gentiles, and they began to instruct them into the old, which was the foundation for the new covenant. And they could explain these things to them. So we're seeing that the corrupt nature pulls us still. That's why we are tempted. And it will yield to whom it will. A Christian will and spirit is not overridden. A lot of people think, oh, no, because your spirit soul is you. And there's no possible way for your spirit not to sin and your soul to sin. Thessalonians will get to later. He said, I pray the God of peace will sanctify you wholly, completely. Your spirit, soul, and body. Immediately he says, your spirit needs to be sanctified. It still can deal with sin. So these people say when you're born again, your spirit can never sin. They're teaching heresy. They're teaching Nicolaitan doctrine that you can sin all you want with your body and your soul because your spirit can't sin. And they exchanged wives and fornicated with each other. And Jesus said, that doctrine I hate, and I will destroy her children. Those who believe in greasy grace and a license to sin God is going to destroy them spiritually, not only in this life and the next. He destroys them in this life because they got born again. He removes his spirit if they were ever saved, and they're deceived. Spiritual destruction. And then at judgment day, they'll answer for everything. So your will determines everything. And people run back and say, well, the salvation's not, the plan of salvation had nothing to do with man. But to repent and believe has everything to do with man. God will not repent for you, and he will not believe for you. He's the helper. He will help you because you can't do it without him. But he can't do it if you don't yield and obey. You have to do the repenting. You have to do the believing then the Holy Spirit does the work, okay? That's why when James says, cleanse your hearts and purify your souls. See, if you've fallen into the world, well, you're still there. And if you don't cleanse your hands and uh, repent, that's what it means. You'd stop your sinning what you know to do, and you turn to the Lord for aid and for forgiveness. He don't purify a heart that's still practicing sin. He will not purify a Christian spirit while he continues in gross sin. He can't do it. He has to have a temple, and it has to be cleansed. And Jesus talked about that. If you don't keep it cleansed, demons will come later, and your spiritual state will be worse, 
And that's why Peter said it's better not to have known the way. It's better not to have been saved and born again than to turn away from God, to crucify him afresh. You'll come under greater judgment than Sodom and Gomorrah did because you were given greater light and truth. So everybody who backslides that really knew the Lord, they're going to a greater punishment than Sodom and Gomorrah got. They need to think about that. That's the justice and holiness of God. Okay, so we go to Romans 8, verse 13, which we use many times. So he's talking to the Christian. The verse before he said, brethren, uh we are not obligated to the flesh. A Christian's not obligated to follow the old man and to yield his members to it. Okay. But to live according to the flesh, we don't have to. We must not. Okay. And then he says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. What did Paul say? If you practice these 20 some sins he named, he says, You will not inherit the kingdom of God. He was talking to Christians. If you make this a way of life, you'll not make it to heaven. Why won't you make it? Because you're not a Christian if you continue in those things. You've not repented. You've not come out. You've not stayed out. You've not continued with the Lord. Okay? And they need to understand that. But, but the condition, if by the Spirit, that's the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, you put to death the works of the body, the evil drawings and the sins, you will live. Who puts it to death? The scripture says, take up your cross, Jesus said, daily and follow me. The taking up the cross means you're headed to the place of crucifixion, that you're giving it up. You're giving up your will and your desires to run your own life. And you must be holy and follow the Lord, so you have to die to what you want and what you think is important. Jesus said, if you find your life, you'll lose it. So you may be happy in this life. Some people are, and everything goes well with them. Even Job talked about that. Till the day they die, then they've stored up wrath for their whole life, and they got to answer for everything they ever did that was evil. Uh-huh. And so he said, you do it. If you, with the Spirit's help, resist, that's what he's talking about, he says, sin shall not have rule over you. Why? Because you're resisting. If you resist him and the power of the enemy, he will flee from you. And he told Cain the same thing. Resist this spirit crouching at your door trying to enter you. But he didn't. So Cain became the first murderer of the human race. Yet Christ attributed it to Satan also, the devil. He said he was a murderer from the beginning. He's talking about the beginning of man. He influenced, he tempted Cain, and Cain gave in. So he's responsible, and Cain's responsible. So the devils and demons, they influence people, but they can't make them do it. It's the will, until they've given themselves over completely. So he says, though, if you do it, so you determine whether there's death or life. You determine whether you're going to end up in hell, the lake of fire, or you're going to end up in heaven. So if you're given these things, you have to use them. They're not automatic, okay? 
So people need to understand. But when we put on immortality, when we are resurrected and we're changed, that old man does not proceed. See, that's what we're going to be delivered from. When we are raptured in that split second that mortal puts on immortality, there's no more old man. Whatever is of him and left of him, he's gone. He's left. He was subject to and ruled by the devil and the world. But he don't have that anymore, okay? He's not of the earth anymore. He's of the heavenly. He's the resurrected man. So our change is so complete that we will never will to sin again. See, people don't understand that. I've heard people say, well, when we get to heaven and we choose to sin, when we get through, it's impossible. See, the devil's going to be removed and confined to the lake of fire. All wickedness. And you'll have no old man, so you'll be so much like God, and it's impossible for God to sin or to be tempted. And if there's no tempter and there's no old man and flesh that's in our being, then it's impossible. So the angels always do the will of the Father. There's no possibility. They were tested, and they passed their test. They won't be tested again. And nobody can bother them because there is nobody to bother them, okay? So our change is so complete that we'll never sin again. We'll never desire. Those are former things that will pass away. We'll never be tempted for evil. There'll be no evil angels around the demons because they will be confined to the lake of fire with all the wicked beings and Scripture says the smoke of their torment shall ascend. It's implied the lake of fire may be outside New Jerusalem because it said the smoke goes up before the Lamb and his angels. It appears that even the resurrected humans will never even think about that. They may not even come into their memory. But it's going to come up before God and the angels as a memorial to God's holiness against these evil beings that once were next to God. Lucifer, before his fall, God said, you were perfect in all your ways in the day you were created. Well, we are born and we inherit things from our parent, but we learn and grow, and we can change things. And, you know, we're not fixed in who we are. They were. They were fixed in perfection as angels. They were created in a moment, and that's how they are, the ones that didn't fall. And they will remain that way forever in holiness. They never tasted sin. They learn from it. The Bible says the angels desire, Paul said, to look into the things of the church, the body of Christ. They are amazed, probably, how God can transform and change. See, because they never experienced it, but they watched it happen. And because they didn't fall, they are being instructed and given wisdom without tasting of the fruit of knowledge as Adam did. See, Adam was being tested. He failed. Uh And so he was corrupted. The two-thirds of angels did not fail. And so they were not corrupted. And then God said, now I'm going to explain things to you. He says they desire to look into these things. 
Okay? So when we get in Christ and we are transformed, we shall be sinless, holy, and undefiled. Why? Because of Christ, his spirit. Christ does it in us and for us. So he changes us completely. The world, the flesh, and demons are not with us anymore. Our flesh cannot yield because it's not there. The corrupt nature is left behind. That's why we are changed at a moment of time, okay? So then we cannot sin nor be tempted with evil. There will be no evil around. We shall be like the faithful angels, okay? The angels often are referred to many times as the holy angels. Even Christ refers to them. He refers to them. And he says that a person denies him before the world, that's a Christian, a backslidden Christian. He said, I will deny him before the Father and the holy angels. So he recognizes who they are and what they were made for. They know he's the creator. He's one with Jehovah. They are called the elect angels because they elected not to turn against the Lord. They chose not to side with Lucifer. Let's take a break now.